0: Now get 0% APR or up to $1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New
1: York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, I have uh, two two items on the docket this morning, and later on the hour, if we have time, I want to ask you this. What do you do as a sports parent or as a coach when your athlete gets nervous in a clutch moment in a game? Or he or she just gets nervous or anxious before a game? Do you just tell them to pause and to take a few deep breaths? Well, a lot of parents and coaches say exactly that. Take your time, slow down, and take some deep breaths. But does that really work? <laughs> well, we'll discuss that later on in the show. But first up, there was a new study just published this past week by the American Psychological Association. And in short, what this study concludes is what many of us have assumed for a long time, that helicopter parents actually get in the way of their kids' emotional and social development. Now, I don't think this will come as any surprise, but this study strongly suggests that parents who hover too much over their kids, well, it's not good for one's psychological development. And let me, let me quote a conclusion from this study. Again, this comes from the American Psychological Association. Quote, our research showed that children with helicopter parents may be less able to deal with the challenging demands of growing up, especially with navigating the complex school environment. This comes from Nicole Perry, a Ph.D. from the University of Minnesota and the lead author of the study. She goes on to say children who cannot regulate their emotions and behavior effectively are more likely to act out in the classroom, to have a harder time making friends and to struggle in school, end quote. Now, this study looked at 422 children uh, over eight years' time, kids between the ages of two to the age of 10, and the kids were from all sorts of different economic backgrounds and were predominantly either white or African-American. It basically was observed that as these kids were given a chance to, to play and to interact with toys or other such challenges and so on, those parents who observed and then interfered or decided to instruct their kids and, in effect, really didn't give their children much breathing room to play and explore on their own, well, they ended up with kids who didn't behave well in school and had emotional and social issues. In other words, in short, the irony of this is that those parents who pretty much hover over their children in order to improve and to enhance their kids' achievements actually end up doing more damage than one would assume it's actually better to let your kids have some space in order to let them experiment and to find their way and to develop a sense of confidence with their social skills on their own. Now, obviously, from a sports parenting perspective, uh, this study is, is right on target. And by the way, I'm interested to get your thoughts about this. Uh, and, of course, our toll-free line is 1-877-337-6666. 337 is brought to you by Mohegan Sun unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. you can plan your stay at moheganson.com. And for example, how many times have coaches you know over the years suggested that if an athlete has an issue? well it's much preferred if the youngster and not the parents approach the coach. Or if the kid feels that he or she is being somehow shortchanged, again, it's much better if the youngster learns how to approach the adult coach, rather than having their mom or dad get involved. And in the end, if we want our kids and our athletes to develop a sense of real self-confidence and to mature, learning how to interact and handle difficult and complex situations on their own is key. It's absolutely key. And yet we've now evolved, as you know, to a situation where helicopter parents are everywhere. I mean, this that term, for example... Helicopter parents, that didn't exist a generation ago. It now, it's, it's, but now it's all part of the everyday uh, fabric of being a sports parent. And I just – this study, as I said, just sort of crystallizes what we probably already know. But again, now that the American Psychological Association has said, yeah, this – being a helicopter parent, we understand you want to do the right things for your children. You have their best interest at heart. But the fact is when you get so involved – and deal and basically micromanage your kids, particularly when it comes to sports, you're gonna have you're gonna make your kids kind of goofy in the long run. Simple as that. Okay. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let me get your comments. Let's go to our friend Ed over in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Hey Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Good,
2: good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good, how are you, Ed? Well, it's, it's very simple. Like, I, I got, I'm i going to give you a couple scenarios. I, I, I coach travel baseball. Yep. And I tell my parents, you do not talk to me about your son's playing time or any of that stuff. If, if, he, if he wants to talk, if he wants to know why, come and talk to me. You can listen, but you're not going to ask any questions. Mm-hmm. That's the way I do it. And then, you know what? This way you keep the parents out of it. But you know what I see more and more, Rick? I've been up in some, uh, now, now that we're in tournaments in the uh, Little League and uh, Cal Ripken now, in the districts and all that. Right, how many parents walk up to the dugout after their son's at bat and are correcting them it's it's amazing and and it, what's what what's crazy is the coaches of these little league teams let the parents let the parents do it. they don't control the parents
1: you mean the parent me this right you're seeing as an umpire that the after a kid goes to the plate and has his a bat, the parent then goes to the dugout and talks to their child
2: oh absolutely yeah it's, <laughs> it's like it's i am going to use the term it looks like the inmates are running the asylum. <laughs> Well, that's Rick, a- You know, I'm. You know, I'm sure your father, God rest his soul, my father, God rest his soul, they were just happy to watch us play, and if they wanted to talk about, it, we would discuss it maybe at home after the game and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's. A, I, I was laughing the other day when I, and I, me and my partner, we were just like, "Do you believe this?" They just walk over to the us and are trying to correct their sons.
1: I, it, it's hard to believe that it's a, uh it's sort of devolved to this point, Ed. I mean, I again, generation ago, our parents. Yeah, maybe they come out to watch a game occasionally, but there was nothing like that. And and um, you know, usually most of the time, the kids just went off. We we played on our own. Parents were doing their own thing. But now, this sounds like it's just getting so extreme. As you said, the parents are visiting with the kid after every at bat in the dugout. That's exactly what we're talking about. I don't know how a youngster, uh, you know, can cope with a situation like that. That's that's so difficult.
2: Well, you know what it comes down to, Rick. You know, yes, we have coaches that are volunteers or fathers, whatever. But they don't know how to keep the parents away it's it's that simple you know and uh, it's almost like they like they, they're they're going to going up to the auditorium saying, oh, your coach don't know nothing yeah you know what i mean instead of the you know let, let the coaches coach you know you're a parent root your team on you know
1: i, I just don't understand why the parents and i well i do understand their, their their sense of wanting to be involved and to help get their kids to the next level I mean, I imagine most of these parents are talking to the youngsters in the dugout, you know, after a poor at bat, after a strikeout or a pop-up or something well, like that. That's when but, it is, yes. But that's they, when it is. They're yep. not talking to the kid after he hits a home run, but it's when no, they say, No, no. No,
2: they're they're, they're they're in the stands dancing like they're Charo on, a, you know, <laughs> dancing. You know what I mean? I swear to God. It's hilarious. I I love Umpin' Little League or Cal Ripken.
1: But watching these parents, you got to laugh sometimes. I, I, well, Ed, uh, and as usual, th- thank you for the call. I'd appreciate I, it. Have a great day, Rick. Thank, thank you. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, what Ed, again, he's seen this as an umpire. He says, you know, the parents just go down and talk to the kids after every bat. Now, I understand that if, if you are really living vicariously through your kid, and, and you think you're spending a lot of money on your kid getting them private coaching or tutoring to, to, you know, I understand there's a temptation to go down and talk to a youngster after every bad and say, okay, what did you do wrong? How can we approve the next time? But that's not the right venue. You just don't do that. Again, this is exactly what we're talking about here in terms of helicopter parents. I mean, the fact is you want to give that kid, a child, that child, a chance to sort of, okay, let me absorb what I did wrong on that particular uh, plate appearance, and what do I need to do to improve upon that? Let me figure it out. Don't let mom or dad come down and try to basically, you know, uh, analyze this for me. If if, you, if a kid under doesn't get to the ability to learn how to make the adjustments on his own, he's never going to learn how to do it or have the self-confidence to go out and, and try to make those kind of changes. You just, I mean, it's just like, it's like almost equivalent to having a, a father or a mother in a, in a test in school watching over their kid's shoulder, the kid gets something wrong on the paper, the parent just steps in and says, okay, let me show you what you did wrong on that particular question. Can't do that. Kids need the space to make mistakes, but they also want the, the freedom to learn how to adjust so they can get a sense of self-confidence. I mean, to me, this is where the helicopter parents sort of lose sight of what's important here. As I said before, the study says if you get parents who are too involved then lo and behold, the kids aren't going to learn how to, to to make mistakes and how to correct them on their own. They're not going to be able to mature because they're always going to have mom and dad to fall back on, and that's not that's not a positive kind of development. It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, I, 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 I can't – in fact, I want to revisit this in a few minutes after the update, but I want to talk about the other term we, we talked a few weeks ago about lawnmower parents and also about entitlement. I mean, I think these concepts all sort of – you know, stem from this concept of helicopter parents, parents who are lawnmowers, uh, obviously, parents who feel they're entitled. Obviously, for a parent to come down to a dugout during the course of a game, even if it's a Little League game, I mean, that you're entitled to do that? I mean, how, how does that work? Where's the coach in all this? It just doesn't seem to add up. And again, it seems to be going in the wrong direction. And by the way, I gather it's not just happening, obviously, with, with Little League baseball, it's happening probably with all sports at the youth level. The radio. We're talking about the helicopter parents this morning. And as I mentioned before the break, there are new species of helicopter parents now. Uh, Remember a few weeks ago, I was talking on a show where uh, a coach from upstate New York had uh, sued uh, some some parents uh, who basically had, had, had. put out some defamatory comments about the coach, led to him losing his job. That coach now says, well, we be on helicopter parents. Now we're now to lawnmower parents, parents who just basically cut everything in, in their way. They just, you know, like a lawnmower, just mow everybody down. They don't care who gets hurt along the process. And, of course, uh, this is all part of the sense today of, of parents, a sense of entitlement, that, that somehow they're entitled to, to interfere or meddle with their kids' development. Again, they don't seem to care that much about if there are coaches involved or, or other people who are in the process. It's all very disturbing, and this trend seems to be snowballing rather than getting better. And I'm taking your calls at 1-877-337-6666. Let's go, to, um, let's go to Megan up in Shelton, Connecticut. Megan, good morning. You're on the fan.
3: Hey, good morning. I just want to thank you so much. You always have such great shows on. Oh, thank and you, I'm Megan. an avid listener, believe me, a long time.
1: Well, thank you. That's this, very nice to hear.
3: Well, yeah, well, believe me, we appreciate you very much.
1: Good, thank so, you. So,
3: this is my concern. We can sit around and create chat about these parents, and it's very unfortunate in this day and age that people have gone down that slippery slope Mm -hmm. because as a parent, old school, I have to say, I'm an old school parent, you know, this did not happen, and we all know that. So what I'm asking of you and the other sportscasters is use the power of the word and let's start looking at solutions. Let's start putting together Um, committee, not a committee, but, you know, like an advisory board, and let's set some standards so that the volunteer that is over their head, because these parents can be a real tough cookie, Mm -hmm. have a real standard that this is the rule, this is how it's going to be. If you step over that, I hate to say it, but your child is out.
1: Well, I'll tell you, but, Megan. I, you know, uh, and I agree with you that. In fact, I was just thinking as you were talking. You know, 15, 20 years ago, when I first first started to, to do this show, uh, around the country, uh, a lot of communities started to put together these mandatory training programs for parents that said, "Correct. If you, if your kid's going to play in our program, you as the mom or dad must go and attend this these training <coughs> sessions on how to behave." during the course of practices and games. Uh, and if you don't go, then your kid won't be on the team. And, you know, only when that, that, that sort of stipulation was put forth saying, you understand how serious this is, you must go and be certified or go through our training, otherwise your kid's not going to play on the team, then parents paid attention. But since that happened 15, 20 years ago, for some reason, Megan, those programs have, seems to have fallen out of favor. I don't know why. Now, the second thing along the same lines you mentioned that, well, if you misbehave as a mom or dad, your kid is going to be banished. That's tough because, you know, again, it's all part of that same package. But I've always had some difficulties about the fact that you're going to punish the child. As we know, the kid can't choose their parents. So I, I right. always feel that, well, you tell the mom or dad, here's how it's going to work out. If you misbehave, we have a zero tolerance program here. If you misbehave, your kid can still play, but you can't come to any more games or any more practices. You're just gone for the year. It'll
3: never work. It'll never work. They'll sue the pants off, everybody, (laughs) because it's it's entitlement. We're talking about entitlement.
1: I know that, but I do feel at some point, if it does get to the point where a lawsuit is filed and the parents have to acknowledge that we were told in the preseason not to interfere and to behave and uh, uh, I think the parents are going to lose, and they're going to realize, well, I guess this is a good law. But it hasn't happened yet, and, and I, I think the other, quite may, frankly— may, the- I course, may I
3: interject? Of course. No, I think you need tough love, for real. I think, unfortunately, many, many things are disso- dissolved because everyone's trying to be so nice. And well, this isn't about nice. The child's already lost by having a parent like that.
1: Here's the other thing, too, Megan, and I, this is when you get into this, and that is we're not talking about people who don't know each other. We're talking about communities. We're talking about people who are friends, neighbors, people who live in the same area you live. It's very difficult to go to somebody and say, you know, we're going to ban you and your kid from playing this year in the soccer program or in the baseball team because the parent can't control themselves. That's 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 a very harsh kind of approach, particularly because you're going to interact with those people in the years to come. Uh, but, well, uh,
3: how about psychiatrists in the dugout?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, uh, sure, but I—I I don't know if it's psychiatrists so much as you need basically to have. Uh, and you know, we, over the years we've heard this. I mean, we're we're uh, field like little league fields have been designed purposely where the backstop is like five or six feet higher off the ground in the back, so the parents can't go to the back of the back of the the backstop to to, to yell at the umpires or yell at their kids. I mean, we we've. We've made these measures, and yet it still happens, and it gets worse. So, Megan, the fact that we're at least talking about this, I do think that has some positive impact in the sense that people were trying to spread the word that this has to stop. And I do believe, uh, to your point, that the more we can get preventive measures in place and really maybe go back to the day of, of having parents trained to understand how they have to behave at their kids' games or else their kids can't play in the team, that may be something worth considering. Anyhow, let me, all right. let me take we'll some more use calls. your power and get it done. <laughs> I'll do the best I can.
3: All right. Uh, thanks, Thank Megan. Thank
1: you. Take care. Bye. That's, and, you know, Megan is obviously right about this. We have to start getting serious to sort of corral and to prevent this behavior, which all comes from well meaning parents. We get that. Let's move on. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to our friend Jack over in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Jack, good morning. Rick, good morning. How are you? Good, Jack. Now, I, you know, you coached a long time, so this has to be an issue you, you know a lot about.
4: Well, let's get to the second topic real quick, okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, this is, and, this, and this is my advice to everybody that's listening. For when your child gets up in that situation when they're very, you know, nervous or they're nervous before a game, one thing I suggest, and you're going to probably kill me for saying this, but maybe not, they should read your book. They really should. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I've already bought your, your book as gifts for people. So, you know what? I've, been, I've read over 100 books on the psychology of sport. And you name it, and written by every single type of athlete and psychologist you can think of. And the one that I actually love, I mean, my, you know that they, uh, the Mental Game of Baseball by your mentor,
1: yep. um, Harvey Dorfman. Dorfman, sure,
4: was uh, my, my Bible. And your book recently became my Bible. So, it, because it's in layman's terms, it's for every parent, every athlete, every coach to read. Teachers should read it because you can apply this stuff in the classroom. I've been a teacher. I'm getting ready to retire. I've been a teacher for, 40, for 42 years now. And it's it's the best. The second, the, the first topic, um, I'm going to tell you, I had a parent, real quick story, and then I'll get off. Yeah. Um, I was coaching at the high school level, varsity level. We had a great team. We were 13 and 0. We are playing a team that's 16 and 0. And I caught and and the two types of parents, the helicopter and the lawnmower, I had in one parent. Oh. So this person was giving his daughter, she was my pitcher, she he was giving this daughter signals from the stands. And I caught this about in the third inning, and at the time we were winning 2 to 2 to 1. And we were both undefeated, both in first place, tied for first place. And I walked out on the mound, and I talked to my, my athlete. I said, I know what's going on. If it continues to happen, you're coming out of the game. Mm-hmm. So about an inning later, I, ter- I give the signal to my catcher. You know, and I had my catcher usually call games, but this is an important game. And I had my second string catcher in. So I'm giving her the signals, and I see my pitcher look, shake it off, look up into the stands. I call timeout. I walk out, and I pull a girl out of the game. Oh, my gosh. All right. All right? Now, we're, we're winning two to one, and we're both undefeated. And um, before I had the girl back on the bench, the father was at the bench yelling and screaming at me. I told him, this is not the time. Leave me alone. We'll talk about it later. Right. Well, this person challenged me actually to a physical fight. All right. He also went to the, to the athletic director. And went after me, and the athletic director caught his ear, and I lost my job at the end of the year. And, you know, these parents, I, I'm a teacher of 42 years, like I said, Rick, and I have a program, a curriculum, and every a week before each curriculum, like when I go from hockey to basketball, I have a week of free play. I let the kids choose their games. I let them have free play. I let them interact with themselves. I let them get away from that structure that, that they get at home every day. And I teach learning disabled kids. So that's even, it's even a tougher situation with the parents because they don't ever want their kids to fail. And I'm going to tell you something that I learned in your book and Harvey's book, okay, Yeah. that failure is the most important tool of success. All right. You need to learn from your failures. You need to understand that we are going to make mistakes in our life. We got the parents have to allow their kids to make mistakes because without mistakes, there's no learning. It's all structured. It's all expected. So,
1: Jack, you know, and that's... I'm going to tell you
4: your book. I'm, I'm being serious now. I'm not just fooling around. Your book was one of the best things I've ever read.
1: Well, Jack, first of all, Uh, People are going to think you're my publicist.
4: (laughs) No, well, don't worry about it. And if you want me to be, I will.
1: But but thank you for the wonderful uh, sentiments about my book. Number two, just to tie this all together... This study out of the American Psychological Association saying that helicopter parents are doing more damage than good. They're that's doing exact, more damage than
4: you can imagine.
1: That's what, exactly what we're talking about here. Kids have to fail many times before they can learn a sense of self-confidence because they learn how to do it themselves. But if mom and dad are always there, you know, basically saying, no, do it this way, do it this way. You're doing the kids a disservice, and the last thing I will say to you, but I, I'm, and Jack, I got to let you go because I'm going to break here. I just
4: want to say one more thing, Rick. Yeah, one more thing. Kids have to understand that they have to. They go out to please mommy and to please their coaches. They'll never please anybody unless they please themselves.
1: Uh, of course, of course, Jack. Thank you as always. You're welcome. You know, at, at the Jack's other point about when he was coaching the softball team in high school, I mean, yeah, I mean, a parent is basically overriding his. His instructions to the kid on the mound during the course of a, of, a, of an important game, and so he tells the kid, you know, if this continues to happen, I'm taking you out of the game. And of course, the parent, the dad, comes down and starts yelling and screaming, and ultimately complains to the AD. But I think all of us would say the same thing: you can't. You, a parent, you can't override the coach's instructions uh, during the course of a game. That's what the coach is there for. If we don't let the coach have the freedom to get the job done. Then we're gonna to have total chaos. And this is one reason, obviously, and Jack, I'm sure, would tell you the same thing, why we have so many high school coaches saying, enough, I'm leaving. Radio.com. Radio. 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 Radio.com. And I also um following up on uh, on Jack's uh, wonderful endorsement of my book, uh, it is entitled Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. It's available. Pretty much everywhere, including Amazon and BNN.com. Again, Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. Uh, please be sure to check out uh, my uh, my website at AskCoachWolf.com, where you can put in your own thoughts, questions as well. Uh, and, uh, oh, if you want to hear a podcast of the show, you just go to WFAN.com and find the link for podcast. And before I get back to the calls, I just want to give a quick uh, well-deserved uh, shout-out to Caitlin Toohey, of uh, North Rockland High School, uh, who last week set the national record for high school girls in the mile, a most impressive accomplishment. Caitlin, who was just finishing her sophomore year at North Rockland High, she ran the mile in 4'33.87. She's also not uh, surprisingly one of the top cross-country runners around as well. I can only imagine what she'll do as she enters into her junior and senior year uh, really, quite impressive. So, congratulations to Caitlin. Okay, back to our, our conversation this morning at one eight seven seven three three seven six 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 six. We're talking about helicopter parents, and they have to be stopped. Let's go to uh, let's go to our friend Mike out in East Rockaway. Hey, Mike, you're on the fan.
0: Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you? You know, good. I always make it a point, as you know, Rick. Fifteen years, tune into your show. <laughs> and uh, my amazing. Dad, yeah, amazing. My dad would have been ninety this year. He passed two years ago. I said, Dad, you have to tune into Rick. And uh, you know, where do we start? Helicopter, lawnmower. I'm, I'm laughing about this, and uh, I call some of them high voltage uh, uh, parents. You can't make it up, Rick. It's uh, you know, I read your book Harvard Boys. I got to read the new book, Secrets of Sports Psychology, revealed because right. uh, I can tell you stories here that, that I'll make it quick. Um, you know, some parents are uh, frustrated ball players. And living vicariously through, but things have to change. Uh, and I think it's a great idea what you said before, Rick. You know, if something is happening with the child and, and the coach, you know, especially uh, when they get to a certain age, maybe their ball player can speak to the coach. Or some coaches I know don't even speak to the parents, just on emails.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I'll give you an example. I was I was coaching with two guys, uh, four ball, thirteen year old, first year on the big diamond. I tell parents. And one guy was hovering near the dugout and, uh, you know, and he kept saying, I want my son to play third. And I said, excuse me, excuse me. Your son needs work at every phase of the game. He's not playing third. He's going to catch a line drive with his kid. Yep. Uh, and I said, that was one of your pet peeves, Rick, on one of your shows mm-hmm. around the dugout. I said, my friend, why don't you sit in the stands? I think we can handle it. And he almost got out of control. And I, that, that's one of many stories. But parents have to realize, hey, it's just the sport, but they're getting more out of control as the years go by. And in closing, Rick, <clears throat> last week's guest uh, played for a longtime Mets fan, uh, 10 years in the majors, took over New York Tech uh, and mentioned Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Um, my old coach, uh, we've spoken about things. I believe tomorrow he's starting his 43rd or 44th year with his baseball camp. But you can't make this stuff up on every level. Uh, Little league, middle school, varsity, college, it's, it's, it's so bizarre that truth is stranger than fiction.
1: Mike, and- it's, 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 it's exactly right. It is stranger than fiction. It's hard to believe. Yep. And yet that's where we are these days. It's as simple yep. as that. Mike, yeah. thanks. So, I'll going mean, move on. Thank you for the call. Thanks, Rick. Thanks a lot. You bet. And, and you know, to, to Mike's point, and we heard this before, these terms, helicopter parents, lawnmower parents, parents with a sense of entitlement about their kids playing sports. These are, these are concepts or terms that didn't exist 20 years ago. It's almost as though the parents today are so fearful that if their kid struggles or things don't go their kid's way or or whatever, that the, the parents are afraid of their youngster experiencing a sense of adversity. And, and you know, As one of the callers said earlier, adversity is not a bad thing. If anything, it's a great teacher. It's a great motivator. It's a great instructor because it forces the youngster to be, to look themselves in the mirror and say, I have to do this better if I want to continue to progress with my sports. So again, don't be afraid of adversity. Let's move on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Dennis in Jacksonville, Florida. Dennis, good morning. You're on the fan.
5: Hey, good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Great topic as usual. Thank you. Um, i my background I've been in youth sports for twenty five years and uh, the last twelve years as a athletic director in a private middle school here in Jacksonville so talk about you know the sense of entitlement that goes along with with these helicopter parents and these kids uh, i think it's how you create your culture as a leader of a program mm-hmm. and, and a couple things that i do um, i have i have mandatory parent meetings if your child makes a team they have to be at a meeting and and quite frankly, we go over several things, and it isn't brought up already for some other coaches we talked before. You're not allowed to talk to coaches or myself. I have a 24-hour policy after any practice or game. Um, so, therefore, it eliminates the hot-headed confrontations when things happen. Right. I make them sleep on it. Yep. If they still feel the same way in 24 hours, they have to email me. Mm-hmm. And I set up an appointment, and we talk about it with the child there. The other thing is I do not let – the parents talk to the coaches or myself about playing time. They have to speak to the coaches because the reason why they're not playing, the coaches fully well know how, why they're not playing. And, um, and really the last thing, and and I'm dealing with kids in fifth grade all the way through eighth grade. And I've been doing this, like I said, for 12 years. And I rarely have problems because I lay it on the line out front and I tell them, this is not for everybody. And if you, if you can't handle this, that maybe this sports program isn't for you and your child. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about entitlement and, and to to one last point, what's ruined sports, not just here in Florida, but probably in in America are these travel teams. Because I have kids who can't make my school team, but the parents will tell me, but he's on his travel team. And I laugh because it's just a money grab. That's all that is. There's, There's 10 travel teams for every level and everyone's on a travel team. So, you know the way the message is delivered and and my track record is pretty strong down here right uh, because I think you need to lay it out in front of people and then when it comes back I say you were at the meeting we talked about this and we're not going to rewrite history and we don't
1: well Dennis and, uh, I, I to say I think that that is so important uh because I do think that uh, a lot of coaches a lot of athletic directors do have the preseason meetings that's become pretty routine but to your point, it sounds like you're pretty emphatic. So when you get the parents of the kids there in that preseason get-together and you say, look, I'm not kidding around, This, these are the rules – if your kid's going to play on this team, you as the parent have to abide by these rules, and there's no there's no give or take on this. It's all zero tolerance. Once you make that so emphatically well known, parents got to pay attention. So as you said, if something comes up during the course of the season, you go back and say, to "The parent, do you remember the meeting we had back in you know a few months ago?" I mean, that, right. They had no answer for that.
2: Well, it,
5: and and our stuff is black and white. I don't leave any areas open to interpretation, and. I make my players and my parents sign the the agreement right. in terms of behavior, and it's very simple. It goes back to when you and I played. The players play, the coaches coach, and the referees ref. Yep. I will never I will never hold it against a child if a parent is a lunatic, but I will tell you that parent won't be allowed back in the gym or in a field if that behavior yeah, I, continues. So,
1: I, I, as you know, people have heard my show. They know that I'm a big believer in zero tolerance. Just because, not because I'm not being compassionate. I just feel that too many parents now don't don't think the rules apply to them. They apply to the other family, not to me. Right, my exactly. kid is my kid's special, my kid's entitled whatever the reason they think, but they they don't seem to think that that applies to them. So you have to say, look, if you didn't understand the rules, you signed the contract, and the fact is you you crossed the line, you are gone. You are gone not just for a game. Uh, but for the rest of the season, we don't want to see you at any games or any practices. End of story. And you have to put some teeth into that.
5: Simple as that. And and, and because I'm a private school, I, I face the incitement because people pay to send no. their children our school. But I have the I have the utmost backing of my administration. And I've and I've told my principal, if you tell me we have to play someone, keep somebody, or any kind of politics, I will resign as AD, and you can you can be it yourself. Yeah, I'm mean, not doing it.
1: I, I think that's the unfortunately that that's the position we are now with our coaches and ads because you got to make sure that, that the administration has your back and is there to support you uh, in every way you need. Hey Dennis, right. th- th- thank thank you, you for this. You got it, Rick. A thank call. you for all you thank you all you did for your sports, Rick. Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate Alrighty. that. Bye. You know, and and I think Dennis did a nice job there of of summarizing exactly what we have to do. We have to sort of sort of basically. Support ourselves as coaches, as athletic directors, and say, look, we gotta lay down the law so there's absolutely no misunderstanding with the parents because uh, they are getting this. As I said before, they don't think the rules apply to them, they apply to all the other parents. And and that's the problem. It has to be universal and there has to have a zero tolerance kind of approach in terms of the discipline so that you know eventually the word begins to get out and, and the parents understand they're not kidding around. Radio
0: Radio.com.
1: Well, unfortunately, I, I've uh, run out of time this morning on this very important topic, and I wish I could get to all the callers who all have excellent points. Uh, but the fact remains that helicopter parents, as this study, as I referred to at the top of the hour, uh, from the American Psychological Association, it's just the, the irony is that parents are trying to do well by their kids, but by... Intervening and interfering and meddling with the kids, they're actually setting the kids back, and and that's not good. Remember, moms and dads, adversity is not necessarily a bad thing for your kid, particularly if they're an athlete, to go through. That's all part of the process of developing their sense of self-confidence and of mastering athletic skills. Keep that in mind. As far as all the things we can do to educate parents, we've got to keep fighting the good fight. Let them know we really need to have a zero tolerance. After all, somebody has to be the grown-up at our kids' games and might as well start with you. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Pete Kennedy. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He's up next. I'll see you next week right here on the Sports Edge.